Well, good morning, Ocean View. Good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning and you online. Good to have you with us this morning. Uh, Pastor Darren is uh, still on vacation, so I get the opportunity to talk with you again this morning. Uh, of course, at the beginning of the sermon, we always find something from Grandpa's basement. And so this morning, I brought this little uh, picture here. It is actually called His Name. Uh, it was done by Corey Wilkinson uh, as an original scratch board and created in 1997. So that meant it's black. And then he scratched out all these names. There are 110 names of Jesus on there, and it makes a picture of Jesus. It, it actually is a copy of uh, Jimmy, um, they did Jimi Hendrix the same way, all his songs that he wrote, and then it came a picture of Jimi Hendrix. Well, uh, Jeannie Adderichin and I, um, we, we decided to make one of these, and so we, we recreated it on a backdrop for one of our coffee houses down in Souk, and uh, that's all black felt pen. And their house smelled of black felt pen for a couple of days. We were high by the time we actually finished this thing. But it is interesting. Is it, is it the right way up or have I got it? It's, it's upside down. I'm going like, why does it not look like anything? I, I purposely looked at it. Is that, is that better? No, that's not better. Sideways. Oh, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Keep going. We'll get it. Is that it? <laughs> okay, there you can see it. <laughs> it's a little confusing. And it is confusing. When you're standing right up to it, it makes no sense. You get back and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, that, that works. Names of God. And uh, we're going to look at, uh, at God this morning. If you want to take that, that would be great. Okay. We are continuing on in uh, the second in our three-week series on a man named Elijah. Uh, in the New Testament, the book of James, uh, James actually tells us that Elijah was a man just like us. And God used him in a mighty way. And, and that encourages us that God you will use each one of us. Because they say, you know, Elijah was just like us, but he was one of the greatest Old Testament prophets. So if you have your Bibles, grab them, turn to the first half of the Bible, 1 Kings chapter 18. Last week we looked at 17, this week we're looking at 18. Do you remember the Coke Wars? Coke versus Pepsi. A long-standing battle between these two world beverage manufacturers. Coca-Cola traces its uh, history back to 1886. And uh, a, a man in Atlanta, Georgia, named John S. Pemberton, he created a pick-me-up tonic. Prohibition was coming through. It was starting to build. Uh, alcohol was not there. And he needed something to kind of get him going, so he created a tonic. And so, like a bottled medicine. He mixed a little a teaspoon with water, drank it, and it kind of had, now it had cocaine in it, so that's why he had a little bit of pick-me-up. Um, but it was really foul tasting, you know, like medicine is, yuck. He, one day he, he uh, came to a drugstore and he wanted some water. They didn't have water, they gave him a soda. And he mixed it with soda and it was like, oh, that's good. And so it really became a thing. They started selling it at the pharmacy and it really came an instant success, Coca-Cola. 
Well, seven years later, a North Carolina pharmacist, Caleb Bradham, introduced what was called Brad's Drink. And in, by 1898, it officially became Pepsi, which comes from a Greek word meaning digestion. So I don't know if Pepsi helps you with your digestion or not. Which is better? Which do you like? You remember the Pepsi challenge? You know the, is it Coke? Is it Pepsi? Take the challenge. Which do you like better? Which is the real thing? Uh, every day, you know, we face a similar challenge. Who is the real thing? Which God do you serve? It was the same for Elijah. In Elijah's day, the same thing. Elijah and the people of Israel, something that is so important to God. Above everything else in our lives, God wants to have all of our hearts, all of our worship, all of our focus, all of our adoration. God wants to be number one. The first of the Ten Commandments says, you shall have no other gods before me. When Jesus was asked what was the most important commandment, he said, above all else, we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God wants all of our hearts, not just a compartment, just a piece. He wants all of us. Now, if you were the spiritual enemy, Satan, what would you try to do to hurt God? Well, you would try to take the hearts of the people away from the one true God. You'd get the people to worship, to serve false gods. And that's something that Satan's been doing throughout history. Putting false gods in the place of the one true God. Now, that's known as the sin of idolatry. And our key thought for today is this. False gods promise what only the true God provides. False gods promise what only the true God provides. You know, money is a pretty popular false god throughout history and, and today. I would say money is, is a god for many people. Money promises what only God can provide. Money says if you've got enough money, you'll be secure. But the reality is once you get enough money, someone says to you, you have cancer, you're going to die in 30 days. doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't make you secure. That's a false promise. Money says if you have enough, you'll be happy. But it doesn't matter how much money you have. If one day you find you've lost one of your own children, there's no amount of money that can buy your happiness in that moment. It's a false promise. It's a false God. It promises something that it cannot provide. In the days of Elijah, many people were living idolatrous lives, worshiping and serving false gods. Now, just reiterate a little bit what's going on in the days of Elijah. Uh, Elijah was called by God to confront a very evil king named King Ahab. Now, the northern kingdom of Israel was the domain of, of King Ahab. He was the 19th consecutive evil king in that, in, in that, uh, that country. He did more evil in the eyes of God than anyone before him. He was the worst of the worst, a very long list of wickedness. And even though the country was prosperous, spiritually, it was bankrupt. Now, the worst thing that he did was turn the hearts of the people away from the one true God, towards the false gods of Baal and Ashtoreth. 
Now, Ahab was married to a princess from the kingdom to the north, or even farther north, Tyre, uh, Jezebel. And she was both a princess and the priestess of the foreign gods of Baal and Asherah. She had a very strong spiritual influence within the country. So much so that she got rid of all the prophets that she could, and she brought in 450 spiritual promoters, or priests of Baal, and 400 priests of Asherah. Remind you who Baal and Asherah were? Baal was the uh, sun god. It's a very agricultural community. Think of agriculture. That's all you're doing is growing food. That, that, that gives you both food and income. And so you need the sun. You need the sun to, to be there. But Baal was also the sun god, the fire god, and the lightning and thunder. So Baal also brought rain. In a very hot country, rain was very, very important. Now Asherah was kind of like Baal's wife, not in the traditional sense. And she was symbolic of earth crops fertility. She needed the rain in order to grow the crops. And people were no longer worshiping, no longer worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were worshiping the false gods. And the promise was, if you worship Baal, he will make your crops grow. He will give you security. If you worship Asherah, then you'll have a better life. Happiness will be yours. False gods promise what only the true God provides. Now God raises up Elijah. And he says, Elijah, I want you to confront the king. Stand him down. Tell him, because of your idolatry, God has sent me to tell you it's not going to rain. God tells me to pray and ask it to rain. Not until, you know, it's not going to rain until God says it's time to rain and I'll pray and then it'll rain. Now that was a direct attack on Baal because Baal was the god of rain. And it says it's not going to rain for three years. You can do all the prayers, all the things you want to Baal, but it will not rain. You see, they thought Baal brought the rain. But when God says no rain, there was no rain for weeks that turned into months that turned into years. It was a major drought. It caused a famine. And in God sent Elijah into a time of hiding and preparation because Ahab wanted him dead. You find him, you kill him. It was dangerous for Elijah. They figured get rid of Elijah, then the curse will go away. So God hid Elijah in the Kareth Ravine. Kareth, of course, from last week, remember, means cutting. Cutting down is a place of humbling. God humbled him and developed him into an even stronger man of God. God fed him by ravens who flew in the morning and evening to drop bread and meat. He got water from the brook, but eventually the brook dried up. Then God called him to move on to a place known as Zarephath, up in the north again, where there was a widow who God used to provide for him with just a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour, which miraculously never ran out. And one day the widow's son died, and this growing man of faith took the son up to the upper room. He called out to God, and God raised this little boy from the dead. So we see the prophet developing into the man of God that God wants him to become. He went into hiding for three years. But now God says, go confront the king again. So we're three years into the drought and we see Elijah and Ahab together again. So 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 17 and 18 are where we're going to pick it up. 
When Ahab, that king, saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? The word troubler there is actually the Hebrew word for snake or viper or asp. He says, You no good, low down snake, Elijah. It's your fault all this is happening. All these people are dying because of you, Elijah. And then Elijah replies, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Elijah says, I'm not taking any of that from you. I've not made trouble for Israel. It's you and your father's family. You're putting false gods ahead of the one true God. Now, Elijah was confronting the very popular idea during those days, and perhaps even a little bit into today, that there are many gods. It's known as polytheism. Poly meaning many. Mono is one. So we are monotheists. We are, monotheism is a belief that there is one God. Polytheism is the belief that there are multiple gods. Throughout the centuries in history, polytheism was very common. As Christians, we are monotheistic. We believe there is only one God. Polytheism is something that Elijah was confronting. Elijah was confronting a very polytheistic culture where they would worship multiple gods, territorial gods. So every area. So if you were from the country of Israel, maybe you worship that god. If you were from Tyre, you worship that god. And in, uh, in battles and warfare, they would try to defeat. If they defeated the enemy, they would take their God and say, our God's stronger than yours. But if that enemy was stronger than us, ah, their God is stronger. How do we worship their God so we can get stronger? Very territorial ideas in the primitive society. Every aspect of life is governed by different gods. So if you buy something, that's one god. If you, if you have children, it's another god. And, and so every aspect of society has a different god as well. So polytheism. And you need to understand which god is which god, so you worship the right one, so you get what you want, so you become prosperous, so you become happy. Now, those of you who are Christians would say, well, we are monotheistic. We believe in one true god. But even though we believe in one true God, many of us live polytheistic lives. We believe in God, but in reality, we worship and serve many false gods. Most people I know aren't worshiping the false gods of Baal and Asherah. They don't have little statues in their houses. I know that. But you know, there are false gods that people worship and serve that are very socially acceptable. The false gods of money material possessions, your house, your new car, your image, your look, your favorite sport, your career, your hobby. Oddly enough, it could be your very own children that you worship in a godly way, in a God way. Even atheism can be a God. I have no religion and I am very strong on that. We elevate sometimes humanity to the scale of worship. Science can become a god. So identify them. What is your false god? What challenges you? What pulls you away from worshiping God? 
What are the false gods that you serve? What are the false gods that you put ahead of the one true God? Work, family, promise of future security, uh, your leisure time, my hobbies, my entertainment. What are some of the false gods you've elevated to the place of the one true God? It's known as the sin of idolatry. We're monotheistic in our belief, but our practices can often be very polytheistic. Elijah the prophet steps into this polytheistic culture and he makes a very prophetic and a very strong statement. We can summarize this story in chapter 18 of 1 Kings in one sentence. Elijah says, with all the authority of God, people, it's time to quit wavering. It's time to quit wavering. Quit wavering between the gods. Quit going back and forth. Maybe you worship Yahweh, but then you worship Baal and Asherah. Maybe you worship God on Sunday, but entertainment is really important, or that sports team, or my work, or my children, my family. It's time to quit wavering. And to illustrate this, Elijah says, we're going to have a good old-fashioned showdown. Now, if this was the Wild West, there'd be two gunslingers out there and they would have a showdown. Now, this wasn't the Wild West, it was the Wild East. And so, Elijah says, Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Now, as a kid, I always thought that was Mount Caramel. You know, craft caramels. I thought that would be really cool. But, you know, it was a mountain made of rocks, not craft caramels. Here's a, a map gives you a little bit of idea where it is. If you think of Israel, the Sea of Galilee is, down, is up there in the top, that little triangle, Dead Sea down at the bottom. The white circle is uh, Samaria. That was King Ahab's capital. Elijah was from Gilead, which is in the blue circle. Jezebel was from Tyre. She's way up top in that little purple circle right at the top of the screen. Uh, King Ahab and Jezebel were actually staying in Jezreel, which is the yellow, uh, the yellow circle there. And they're meeting on Mount Carmel, which is the red circle, right at the ocean there near where Acre is, Acre is today, but that is Mount Carmel. Here's a picture uh, from the top of Mount Carmel, looking over the, the valley of Armageddon to uh, Nazareth on the other side. On the other side of that valley is, Na is where Nazareth will be built uh, in, uh, in another 500 years uh, during the time of Jesus. But this is the top of Mount Carmel. Uh, it looks higher than it is when you look from down underneath. It doesn't look, but when you're up on top, it looks fairly high. Meet Call all the people. Let's get to, to the, mount of the top of Mount Carmel. Bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. That has got to be one big table with 900 people on it. It's basically a way to say that um, the king, Jezebel, supported these, this religion. It was a state-sponsored religion. They lived off of the uh, state's uh, income. It was a state-supported religious advisors. Now, in verse 21, it says, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If Yahweh, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. 
people said nothing. So Elijah basically is putting down the showdown. He's saying, if God is God, we're going to follow him. If Baal is God, well, okay, then let's follow him. Let's have a test. Let's have a showdown. If Elijah were here today, he'd say the same thing to us. Quit wavering. God, keep me out of hell and get me into heaven, but I still want to do whatever I want to do. God, hear my prayer and bless me, but I don't want to obey your command. God, I want all of your good things, but I don't want to stop my selfish things. Elijah says, quit wavering. Quit being a Christian on Sunday and a heathen on Monday. Quit claiming Christ and living like you don't know him. Quit wanting the benefits, but be unwilling to sacrifice. Quit wavering. Quit wavering. Now, many years ago, in my teens, we had a national youth pastor named Roy Lawson. And I remember him preaching, and I always remember this illustration. He says, quit being a mugwump. Now, what's a mugwump? Is that some kind of bird? No, it's, a, it's when you're sitting on the fence, right? The bird's sitting on the fence. His mug is on one side, and his wump is on the other. He doesn't know which way to go. He's a mugwump. So don't be a mugwump. Take a side. Elijah's message applies to us today just as it did 2,900 years ago. And here's what I think he would say to us today. Not talking about Baal. If your false god, little g, whatever it is, if it really is God, then sell out to it. If material possessions are the most important thing, then quit sort of accumulating them. Go for it. Go into massive debt. Steal if you have to. If the greatest thing in life is accumulation, then everything should be justified. Stealing would be justified. Don't ever give anything away. Don't ever do anything generous because that would diminish your ultimate goal of accumulating. If material possessions are God, then go for it. Your house, is that your God? Well, quit doing one little room at a time. Go into debt. Hire the best. Landscape it. Quit playing around and just go for it. Maybe your God is appearance. Your image. Don't just kind of do it. Get in the gym three hours a day. Tan it, tweak it, tat it, puff it, tuck it, lift it, twist it, curl it, color it, funk it. Whatever. Ignore the fact that you're going to die. Don't even think about that. Buy whatever clothes you need. Go for it. Sexual pleasure. Don't let something as small as marriage hold you back. If you're not married, more power to you. If you're married, step outside of marriage. Do whatever you want. If that's your God, go for it. But... If Jesus Christ is your God, the Son of God is the one true God, then quit your wavering. Love Him with all of your heart. Don't just claim Him and live as if He doesn't exist. Love Him wholeheartedly. And I can feel the power of Elijah looking directly at me saying, Quit wavering. How long will you waver between two opinions? So what did Elijah do? What was the showdown all about? Well, in uh, verse 22, he says, get two bulls, uh, two male cows, oxen, whatever it is, two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves. Let the, those priests choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but don't set fire to it. 
I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Yahweh. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Build a couple of altars. The one who answers by fire, he is the God. He is the real McCoy. He is the authentic one. He is the real thing. And who is it going to be? Is it going to be Baal? It's going to be Yahweh. And all the people said, what you say is good. Good idea. That makes sense. Let's see who it is. Here's what they were thinking. Don't you know, silly prophet, who you're dealing with? Baal is the god of thunder and lightning and fire. Fire. He is going to just burn you up. You're going to get smoked, silly prophet. Baal is the god of lightning and kaboom, we're going to see it. So verse 26, it says, They, the priests of Baal, they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they call on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. It was worship dance. Full body jumping up and down, twisting around, shouts of joy and shrieks. Baal, send fire. Dancing to the false gods to encourage them to take notice, to send down fire. But nothing happened. It was the sound of silence. No communication from their God. And, I don't know, Elijah, I thought, was just like stepping over the line just a little bit. Because at noon, after about three hours of this, he begins to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Really sarcastic here. Where's your God? You know, there's three things that pagan, thought, pagan gods were thought to engage in. If you look at ancient god stories from the Ugarit, you will find that they often thought the gods would be traveling, could be in commercial ventures, or in contemplation. They were the, the thinker. Maybe he needs to put down the newspaper, Elijah says. Shout louder. So what did they do? They shouted louder. They danced harder. They started to cut themselves to really get Baal's attention with their suffering. We're suffering here. We are bleeding for you, God. Come on, send fire. Scripture says that they shouted all day long. It's a, quite a sad thought. You know, we don't dance for false gods all day long. But many of us do it all lifetime long. Dancing, praising, pursuing, serving, worshiping. The false gods that promise but never deliver. And at the end of the day, they dance, they cut themselves. Nothing happened. The sound of silence. Verse 36, we pick it up again. It says, at the time of sacrifice... Now, the time of sacrifice uh, is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's when the, in Jerusalem, at the main temple, they would sacrifice on the, even, on the altar for the evening sacrifice. So at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant have done all these things at your command. He prayed. Now, no elaborate ritual. He didn't dance, shout, cut himself. He didn't do anything to get God's attention. He simply prayed. God, reveal yourself. Show us who you are. Let us see you. And then verse 37. Answer me, O God, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Can you see the power and beauty in those statements? Answer me, O Lord. Reveal yourself. Show us who you are. Let us see you. Reveal yourself by fire. May we feel the heat of your love. Why? So that you can turn the hearts of these people back again. They used to know you. They used to walk with you. They used to serve you. They used to worship you. Turn their hearts back again. Whoever is God, reveal yourself by fire. Elijah prays in verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also the water in the trench. Elijah poured water over the whole altar. He made it even more difficult with 12 large jars of water. Lightning came, fire came, and it burned up everything, everything within minutes. Verse 39 tells us, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. They just on the ground and they cried, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. That would be my prayer for our church, that we'd see God for who he is. All the false gods would fall away in comparison to the one true God. Our hearts would be turned back to him. We'd say, the Lord, he is God. He is God. And I'm sure you're thinking, well, duh. Send fire from heaven and uh, I'm impressed. God, if you're really there, burn this baby up. Whoosh. So why doesn't God do that today? Why doesn't God show himself like that? Well, let me tell you. God showed himself to us 2,000 years ago. He left heaven, became one of us in the person of Jesus, his son. We celebrated that at Christmas. Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life so that he could die for us on a cross and be raised again so that we could know him. When you know, do know him through Christ, then all the false gods just seem to fall away because the one true God is so much greater. So if Elijah were living today, I think he'd say, Dwight, quit wavering. When you know who God is, you will never be tempted to serve these false gods because the one true God is so much greater. Elijah said to the people, if the Lord is God, follow him. Are you wavering? Do you have those idols in your place? There are those things in my life that you're just not giving honor to God. I want to repent of the sin of idolatry. I want to quit wavering. I want to love him wholeheartedly. Just give him whatever that is. And say, God, I confess this to you. Forgive me. Toyotomi Hideyoshi was a Japanese warlord back in the 16th 
century, in the 1500s. He had a statue of Buddha, and he wanted a grand temple to house it in Kyoto. So it took 50,000 men five years to complete this grand temple to house this Buddha. Then in the earthquake of 1596, the temple was totally destroyed. And Toyotomi commented, and it's written in history, he commented to the statue of Buddha, he said this, I put you here at great expense, and you can't even look after your own temple. Faith and security mean nothing when you have faith in the wrong object. In Elijah's day, they had faith in Baal. They believed he was real. They believed that he had power. They were sincere in their belief, but Baal did not exist. They worked to get Baal's attention. They danced, they shouted, they shed blood. God shed his blood to get our attention. And it's not a publicity stunt. It was the payment for our sins to win our salvation. Jesus' death and resurrection is God's loudest call for our attention. It shows how much he loves us. The true God is dying for our attention. And he had done everything necessary to let us into heaven. We need to listen to him to put our trust in him for eternal life. Maybe you're wavering even today. You may believe in a monotheistic God, but you live in a polytheistic way. Quit wavering. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask Ryan, our, our board member, to come and uh, to pray for us.